This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. It's now 9.37 a.m. and time for the SNM show. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> You're with me, Melissa Idris. You just heard the gasp of Kusu Chuang and Julian Ng joins us today. So let's take a look at um, this week at export stocks with dollar-derived earnings. The reason why? Because the dollar spot index is at an all-time high. So today we want to ask, do you think there's still upside for these stocks? Yeah, so um, in the wake of all the bad news that's been afflicting our newspaper headlines and so on and so forth, I decided to take a glass half full approach and not talk about the bad news but talk about the good news because in all financial markets there's always money to be made when uh, even in the most awry of times and uh, you know all the hedge funds and all these funny not funny that's a frightened slip right there. All the smart money has been chasing the greenback uh, to new record highs. And, you know, Jules, we've talked about this many times about how the US dollar and the trade weighted index basis and other kind of bases as well has be, has seen the US dollar rising um, aggressively in the last few weeks. And basically, it's all been our expectation that Janet Yellen is going to raise interest rates by December. That's right. And also, uh, just going back to what you said, it's interesting that you talked about hedge funds uh, because the returns from hedge funds so far have uh, been less than impressive. I, I just thought that I'll, I'll slip that in while you're <laughs> talking about hedge funds who could do anything they can to get the best returns that they can for um, their clients have, have uh, not been doing very well, actually. It's the long funds that are outperforming. Uh, but going back to the US dollar, yeah, I think uh, that appeared to have been a one-way bet uh, for most of this year. Yeah, so when the greenback has been this strong and uh, when the economies have been this slow, there's always going to be some winners and losers. And a lot of the, a lot of the more um, savvy investors in Malaysia have spotted the trend earlier on. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like the, you know, the Kun Yu Yins of this world and the larger asset managers, they have spotted the trend. And uh, they chased up furniture stocks, they've chased up uh, exporters. Glove makers. The glove makers. Mm-hmm. So it's no surprise that these themes have been on a tear the last few months. But at this point in time, given where the dollar is and this strong, whether or not there's upside. And when I looked at some of the stocks actually on the horizon, for example, I'm going to cite some Kun Yu Yin stocks, right? The VS Industry, Latitude, Li Han. Their valuations are, are incredibly low. And I don't know how it is because when you look at, say, Li Han, for example, it's gone up a lot in the last few months. It's gone up something like five, six times uh, from a year ago. But Lihan valuations are just 4.3 times, which means, in other words, that earnings have been keeping up with the stock market appreciation. And that's a big thing. So a lot of the fortunes of these companies actually depend on uh, the forecast of where the US dollar is going, right? Because yeah. uh, their revenues are quoted in US dollar and therefore translating back to ringgit, they make a lot of money. Uh, but... Uh, the question is whether you uh, you agree with that uh, and you can look into your crystal ball and say that the US dollar will continue to strengthen. Do they have anything in terms of uh, their core fundamental mm. earnings growing in spite of the US dollar? And the answer would have to be no because if you look at the American earnings, corporate earnings the last one or two years, they've really been in large part driven by two things, share buybacks and uh, mergers and acquisitions. You're talking about US stocks, right? US stocks. Well, I'm talking about this uh, four times PE ratio Correct. that you're seeing for Lee Hun, uh, whether that is justifiable because the PE Correct. ratios 
I, I think the ultimate uh, materialization for higher PE ratios come when uh, investors can't ignore that uh, these companies are firmly in the trajectory of making money, right? right? And sometimes it materializes itself uh, themselves in dividends. Uh, if the company, a certain company, is paying fifteen percent dividends, say for example, uh, then you can't ignore that by. Uh, and push p- share prices up back to reflect uh, a more realistic dividend payment. Yeah, so yeah. operationally, there has to be some fundamental driver of top-line revenue. And, and not just the strong dollar. And not dollar. just foreign yeah. exchange, yeah. So when I looked at, at other stocks, for example, Daibochi, right? Daibochi is a pro- well, not proxy, it's an alternative to Tomipak. And Tomipak, uh, these two companies are basically plastics, uh, plastics uh, um, 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 packaging people. So you know those Milo packets, or you know those Twisties packets, or you know those um, Mami packets, you mm-hmm. know the, the... So the, consumer the, proxies. Consumer proxies, right? The same kind of sector that uh, Red Senna wanted to get into, right? Because if you play to the whole ASEAN, increasing affluence, increasing urbanization, increasing, you know, first world con- kind of consumptive trends, then these guys will have a quite a long-term future. When Dai- Daibuchi reported earnings yesterday, had a huge day yesterday. Uh, they they run up to they run up something like eleven uh, percent to a record high, fifty two week high, and they saw uh, export revenues up to fifty six percent of total top line from forty percent a year ago. And these guys just export ASEAN. They export ASEAN as Australia, New Zealand. Their biggest clients are people like uh, Nestle, Milo, Mondelez, Cadbury, people like that. Chocolate wrappers, Twisties packets, Milo Mi- Milo packets. So, so it's know, a good way of playing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, some people would uh, take offense as this, but Nestle is kind of a boring stock, right? So uh, if you didn't want to uh, expose yourself to uh, Nestle, but you still wanted to play that underlying consumption and growth of ASEAN, then this, uh, these stocks could be your answer, especially if you, have, uh, if you have a portfolio that's focused on small caps, right? The small yeah, investors not, can not buy every, a lot of these stocks. Not everyone can afford Nestle. Well, Nestle is at 73 bucks, which means if you want to just buy 100 shares, it's 7,300. 300 ringgit. Is it's it 700 or 7,000? 7, 7, 73, yeah. 7, 7, 7, 000, 3, one lot, 1,000 shares is 73,000 ringgit. Yeah, yeah. And one bought lot is 7,300. 7, so Bursa should change the rules and reduce bought lot to sizes one to, to one share, right? Because right now, a lot of people are making money out of odd lots. Uh, when yeah. you buy or sell odd lots, you have to take a big hit or big discount uh, from what you're selling. So uh, that, that's an idea. One share would just cost 73 bucks to buy into Nestle, right? Yeah. I, lo- I love how we've actually got off tangents here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's a topic for another day. You never know. I mean, that's quite quite something to talk about In there. the US, is one share, right? Yeah. yeah. You can I, buy I one Facebook, one Apple, one Google. But if you want to buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> B, not A, B, Maybe that's all we can afford, right? Chuang can afford that. No, no, no. <laughs> Chuang's uh, imaginary <laughs> alter ego in fantasy land can. Good morning. It's now 9.47am. Melissa, Chuang and Julian on the SNM show. We were talking earlier about several stocks with dollar-driven earnings. They've been on a tear lately. But the question we're asking is, does this rally have legs? Yeah, so it would appear on just purely one valuation metric. And of course, Julian Ng is giving me da- dagger stairs now. <laughs> Why? Why so? Well, okay, for example, you know, because obviously PE is one of the most looked at uh, valuation metrics. And um, I want to cite Hivia Board, okay? This particle board maker, they, play, you know, they're furniture guys. They announced uh, results. Fantastic Announced results. results yesterday, yeah. So they saw net profits uh, in the quarter double to 18 million ringgit 
for the third quarter, okay, uh, they, they sold more stuff overseas, a higher value, they sold, raised prices, etc. because I think they went higher up the value chain, doing some e-commerce stuff and all that. But when I look at their share price, um, it's, only a, it's only trading at three and a half times earnings. That's, that's which is bizarre, ridiculous. Which yeah. is bizarre, right? Because yeah. they've, they've been moving up so much and I think they've also split in the, over the course of the year, which only says that basically, not only have they been getting a Philip, um, not the prince kind but the f kind right um from <laughs> thanks from for the clarification <laughs> from foreign currency earnings uh, translation gains but also from fundamental operationally driven higher demand and higher price ads. now is this so three times like a, is this three times uh, current, uh, current uh, historical earnings or no, current, forward earnings current, because current. forward earnings still subject to the analyst sentiment of where the stock is going to go where earnings are going to go and uh, well no current because I've got uh, one of my boards open and basically since 2010 they've made five straight years of rising profit year on year and for five years straight okay that that is a nice uh, graph to have because in 2010 they made um, uh, sorry 2011 they made three and a half million ringgit profit the year after that 15 and a half the year after that 22 and a half the year after that 30 and a half and this year they're on track to make 57 million ringgit yeah, so, a rising trend in how people invest uh, is called the quants, right? The quant yeah. quantitative way yeah. of investing, quants for short. And they don't really look at any news or any mm -hmm. uh, analysis of the company. They just go by data uh, to, and they create algorithms and so on to create data uh, to look at what to invest in. And PE ratio, low PE ratios are some of these uh, data that they use uh, to invest. And over the long term, it's actually been proven uh, through back, back testing research that uh, a lower PE stock is more likely to outperform a higher PE stock. And I mean, for a heavy board PE ratio of three times, even if the profits uh, half next year, right, fall 50%, it's, it's six, six times, six times right? um, so it's still cheap by any measure. Well, what about other stocks? I mean, you named some stocks that are small caps and perhaps not very familiar to um, investors who, are, who didn't realise that they were exposed to US earnings. Um, but more traditional ones would be the glove makers, the, the top glove makers, gloves, the yeah. super maxers of the world. Yeah, so those are covered to death and they've yeah. got very good IR teams, right? And then you've got people like S Ceramics or ES Ceramics, which we talked about three, four weeks ago. Um, but then you've also got a whole plethora of um, small, kind of like uh, invisible companies which are doing really well earnings-wise, but they just don't either have the temperament or the capacity or maybe the, you know, the willingness to hire a good IR people or PR people. And you know, so I just want to cite one, right? This company called Magnitude, okay? Magnitude is a Penang-based uh, manufacturer. They used to do, I think, really boring stuff in plastics or something. Then in 2006, they bought uh, a garments maker called South Island Garments, right, SIG. And then uh, if, you, if you look at the, pro at, at the share price since then, they have been making money hand over fist for the last uh, X number of years. Um, and, and I, I mean, again, I just want, I'm just pulling up the, ch uh, the, the chart for Magnitech, okay? Um, ever since 2005, they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine straight years of profit wow. growth, okay? And this is a company which has got cash on the balance sheet. They're trading right now at seven times earnings. Um, you know, they, they're, they're getting a bounce from the foreign exchange earnings. They make stuff, basically garments for one company. In, I mean, they've got other clients, but the main client is Nike, Okay, Nike, yeah. so there is that single customer risk mm. if, the, if almost 100% of Correct. their revenue Correct. goes to Nike. Yeah, but you know, Penang is full of garment makers, right? You know, clothing, you know, uh, yep. basically contract manufacturers and uh, 
and you know, then people will put their like the OEMs, rent, right? Yeah, the yeah. OEM guys, right? So it also ties into this uh, global outsourcing phenomenon, right? Uh, companies are becoming more and more virtual. They think of uh, the clever, innovative stuff they design it, but they don't actually make it. Uh, they outsource a lot of the stuff that required to be made, and this uh, Nike thing is one example, uh, one prime example of that. Yeah. So the other thing is, we've talked about this in the past as well on the S&M show, is the whole phenomenon of value traps, right? Because you, there are a whole bunch of companies which are trading at low single-digit PEs, you know, good earnings streams, good cash on the balance sheet, very, very, very low debt. The one thing that companies like Magnitech, if they just change their outlook in terms of getting some coverage, getting some stories out there, getting some PR, IR or PR teams out there, Easily, the share price can. Uh, I'm, you know, this is obviously a, a forward-looking uh, or a leading statement, but they they could easily see a hundred percent rise in the share price because that's the difference between, say, a top glove at twenty something times earnings, and uh, something else which doesn't get covered at all. Could could I just go back to the value trap that you mentioned, Chuang? I mean, that is that is a scare. How do you avoid that? How do you uh, not want to? Uh, get stuck year after year in a stock that perhaps sounds cheap? Well, you got to be aware that uh, you are taking very high risk. And when you take high risk, uh, you you employ uh, strategies like actually diversification Mm -hmm. so that uh, when you lose money in one stock, uh, that doesn't happen in your entire basket, right? Don't put all your eggs into one basket. I guess value traps are a reflection of uh, the corporate governance problem, uh, the imputation of a risk, what they call a risk premium, which means that smaller stocks would have to trade at a discount to uh, more trusted, more open, transparent, larger stocks, for instance. So if uh, the um, entire market in Malaysia is trading, let's say, 15, 16 times, then uh, a P-E ratio of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just pulling numbers out of my uh, out of the air here, um, <laughs> 10, may, maybe as, as the small cap, approaches 10 times all right that that is uh, your red line yeah, yeah. that you might not want to yeah. cross okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah well what about the flip side i mean we talked about some stocks that are doing really well because of the us dollar um, conversely banking is not where you want to be right yeah, now yeah right? you know so i would you know so this is basically a, a sector with which everybody, you know, bar the you know the big asset managers that they're shunning, right? Uh, we just saw Hong Leong report earnings yesterday. Okay, they made money, you know, but basically net profit on the quarter was eight percent lower. Loans growth was something like only eleven percent, you know, and uh, people are kind of like wringing their hands in despair and all that. Um, but get this, right? Hong Leong is trading at eleven times earnings, which Basically, it's not bad. And Maybank, which has been making more profit every year than the year before that for the last five years, is also trading at, trading at 11 times earnings. And Maybank is Maybank is Maybank is Maybank. <laughs> Enough said, right? <laughs> it's a fantastic company run by fantastic people. Does it deserve these valuations? But the question is, if you buy Maybank now, will it go lower? Because it plays into the whole large the macro thing, yeah. The macro thing, yeah. So unfortunately, banks uh, will have to result uh, the rest of the economy, reflect the rest of not only the local economy, I suppose, the regional and external factors as well. Uh, you've got oil prices, you've got the route in the commodity sector, you've got currencies and so on. Ringgit, banks yeah. are exposed to all of these things. And uh, also, they've done that uh, MSS, VSS. Uh-huh. It's a reflection of the underlying weakness, weakness. in the sector, That's right? right? Uh, yeah. uh, apparently, the RN, uh, the CIME model for VSS or MSS, whatever you want to call it, has been used uh, in the banking replicated, industry. Yeah. Replicated. Uh, these guys are getting about one and a quarter months for each year of service in uh, that respective bank. Which not, just not goes to show bad. you how eager the banks are to get these costs off their balance sheet. Right? Absolutely. Because yes. if you know if you were 
pretty bullish in the future, but you just didn't like some of their faces. You just offer them half a month for every year of service. But 1.25 times means they're pretty serious about getting them. These are you know high high salaried, high cost guys. So effectively, if you work there for let's say 12 years, uh, effectively you're getting a one year's bonus uh, just Precisely. for leaving. Wow. So they're paying you one year just to uh, look for another job in the next 12 months. Fantastic. <laughs> Not bad, right? Uh, and why do we make fun of bankers? <laughs> uh, because for all the reasons uh, stated above. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.